Today we get a glimpse of the Spirit's work in Acts chapter 3 and the following story. We're going to read Acts 3, 1 through 10 together. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man, the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Do you ever read passages like that and wonder if you're missing something? You read a book like the book of Acts and you see the acts of the apostles, or rather the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and these miracles and amazing sights and spectacles and adventurous lives that they're living. You ever read that and think, is that what my life is supposed to look like? I read stories like this and I get this image in my mind that, that I'm on this path in life and the Holy Spirit is on this path in life and they kind of go parallel to each other and they rarely intersect. I have never had a moment where I felt compelled to heal somebody or raise someone from the dead or give sight to the blind or I've never had thousands of people get saved in a moment as the Spirit intersected into my life. And yet I read this and I... I can't help but wonder if our lives are supposed to intersect with the Spirit's work more. I feel like the moments in my life when I try to step out in faith and connect with what God wants me to do, it ends up, <laughs> it ends up awkward a lot of the time. That's where Carolina's story comes in. Carolina is the person that we interviewed on the podcast for this week. If you're on the Three Crosses podcast, not the sermon podcast, but the podcast podcast, you can listen to Carolina's story. And in the midst of her story, she, she tells about a moment when she had not yet come to know Christ. She was a single mom in her early 20s, struggling to make ends meet, exhausted and tired, and the weight of the world was on her shoulders. And then a Christian person came to her and tried to share the gospel with her, and she remembers what it sounded like to her non-Christian ears. And as I listened to her tell that story, I just felt that like, oh, this is what I sound like sometimes. And I wanted you to catch a glimpse of the awkward story, so here it is. Well, and so at that point, um, he was a believer, and <clears throat> he, he said, you know, growing up, my mom always told me, he was trying to like, you know, say my mom told me, so mm -hmm. he wasn't the weird Christian, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he said, you know, my mom always told me that I can surrender, and I can just give it all up to God. And then there was this like awkward silence. It was like, and he just went there. <laughs> so wait, wait, what's, what's awkward about the silence? Well, you know, I think now, fast forward, as a Christian, these things that sound normal, like, you know, if I'm having a conversation with my 
mom from Bible study friend, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like, oh yeah, you know, we need to surrender this to the Lord. And that's a hundred percent accurate. But when you are not a Christian, it's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> that makes no sense. So what, yeah, what was the, it's Christian. So he says that it's silent. And then what's the emotion starting to like build in you after, as that like phrase is echoing in your brain? In my mind, it was like, well, I mean, sure. That sounds nice. <laughs> Like a luxury kind of thing? Yeah, like that. that's super cool that you can just do that. But like, like that's nice. You live at home with your mom. Yep. I'm the mom in this situation. And... Just surrender to God. Like, super cool. So is he going to show up and watch my kid? Like, mm -hmm. it just didn't make sense. It was really awkward. We also kind of had a crush on each other. Like, spoiler alert, he ended up being my husband <laughs> as Brian. But so it was this like, oh, I thought you were kind of cute. Now you're kind of going all Jesus-y on me, and it makes no sense. Oh, thank you, Carolina, for sharing a vulnerable story about your husband. Uh, I feel like that's what it feels like when I, I try to intersect with what the Spirit wants to do in this world. And yet when the apostles step out in faith, magic happens. So I read a passage like this, and I wonder, okay, what, what am I missing? What's going wrong? Is there a way that our lives today can intersect with what the Spirit is doing in a way that is transformational, that does work, that does bring effective ministry into the world, that, yeah, maybe we're not going to be raising people from the dead all the time, but can we move into an experience with God where we feel like and we know that he's working through us? And so these last few weeks, I've been looking at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 and, and asking myself, what can we glean from this passage? And I think one of the hardest things about looking at a passage of scripture like this is we get caught up in all the miraculous stuff, right? Like if we ask you, hey, what's Acts chapter 3 about? You say, oh, it's when Peter and John gave that lame man the ability to walk. It's unbelievable. And yet if you keep reading and you keep diving in, you keep wrestling with what the text says, you realize that there's so much going on behind the scenes, beyond and before and after the miracle moment. And so this, mom, this morning, I want to kind of take the miracle and put it aside for a second. And I want to see what else we can see as we walk through this text. Because as Peter and John go up to the temple on that morning, we see something that happens to them that happens to a lot of us. It says that they encountered a man who was asking for money and they made eye contact and there was this awkward pause as they sat there staring at each other. And that happens to me all the time. <laughs> now, I have experiences all the time where I see someone in this world that, that is asking me for money or, or that has a need. Or I'm talking to someone and I feel compelled. I should offer prayer for this person. Or someone's telling me about the struggles they're having in their life. Or someone's saying, I just wish someone would come alongside me and help me in this way. And we find ourselves looking at each other. And in that moment, I have a feeling that I think Peter and John had too. It's a feeling where God is tugging at my heart and saying, you should do something now. Have you ever been looking at a homeless man who's asking you for money and you realize, uh-oh, I think God wants me to do something right now? Have you ever had a conversation with your neighbor in the driveway and they're talking about their marital issues and you feel like, I think God wants me to pray for this person right now? And your heart starts beating faster and you're arguing with God in your head and trying to listen to your neighbor with the other side of your head and 
I think the first similarity that we have between these apostles is they found themselves in a moment where God was putting a burden on their heart. And that happens to us more than we realize. If you're a note taker this morning, here's a big thing that you can write down. I believe that world-changing moments often start with a simple prompting. This miracle, the context of this miracle, this transformational moment, these thousands of people coming to Christ because of this man's miracle all started when Peter and John made eye contact with a man who was begging for money and felt compelled to do something about it. I think if we can begin to recognize that those moments in our lives are gifts from God when the Spirit wants to come in and start to work, it might not only change our perspective on how to deal with moments like that, but I believe it actually might be the catalyst that God uses to tumble us into a life in partnership with him. And when I first became a Christian, I remember having a season where I was wrestling with what it might mean to live in partnership with God in terms of miraculous things. Right? I knew I was supposed to read my Bible. I knew I was supposed to pray. I knew I was supposed to come to church. But when I read the Bible, I saw that all these amazing things happen. And, and so I wondered, well, maybe that's something that I, I need to do. Maybe I need to figure out how to step into this miraculous world. And so I have this distinct memory of being on vacation after my senior year of high school. And I was in Kauai with my family. And we were on a hike going. We were trying to find where they filmed Jurassic Park or something. And like three miles into this hike, I'm 17 and miserable and hot and sweaty and not realizing I'm in Kauai and someone else paid for it. (laughs) And it started to rain. And it's already kind of muddy. And I'm wearing like flip-flops on this like eight-mile hike. And now I'm getting cold. And I felt like Jonah, like cursing God because of the rain and... And I remember having this, this moment where I realized, you know, I'm a Christian now. Maybe I can stop the rain. You know, <laughs> Jesus commanded the elements, right? And so I, as I'm hiking down the road, I'm praying, God, I don't know how this is how this works, but can you stop the rain from coming? And, and then it stopped raining. And I, I remember stopping in the middle of the path, like, did I just figure it out? Right? And, And I kept walking, and then it started raining again. And I'm like, oh, this is a test. God, stop the rain. Please stop the rain. And I'd wrestle with the Lord and wrestle with the Lord until the rain stopped. I'm like, wait, did I do that? Or was that? So then I started getting bold. I'm like, God, bring the rain back. Bring the rain back now, right? And and I pray that until the rain started. And and that was not probably what I should have been doing uh, at that moment. But I was wrestling with that idea of How do I break into the miraculous? What is my connection with God himself manifesting here on earth? If my life is supposed to be one where the spirit can break through and do things that I could not do on my own, how does that relationship look? I think in this passage, if we take the miraculous out for a moment and look at what was happening, the context for the miraculous, I think we'll see some things that We may have never seen before in this passage. And the the first thing I I notice as I look in this passage is that God himself orchestrated all the events. 
Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, and we see that Luke brings out a lot of details to try to remind us that God was orchestrating this very moment. He describes Peter and John coming to the temple at the time of prayer, and he puts them on this road at a specific time, three o'clock in the afternoon. And then he tells about this man who's been unable to walk for 40 years since he was born and how every day he'd be carried to the temple. And he draws us this story where Peter and John are coming up the steps this way. And this man's being drawn up this way. And then they happen, they, they happen to meet each other in that moment. And I feel like Luke is screaming to us through the text, can't you see God himself has been orchestrating this moment. For the last 40 years, he's been preparing this man to meet with the apostles on the road today that's the context for this miracle. And when I read the rest of the scriptures, I see over and over again this idea that God has set apart some works for us to do. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. That the God of this universe, before we were born, before we were created, before this earth was created, he knew in his mind that one day, he was going to place a man outside a gate called Beautiful as two of his apostles walked up the steps and he was going to orchestrate a moment where his spirit was going to break forth into the earth and do something amazing. When we have those moments in our life where the spirit is tugging us towards doing something, buying the groceries for someone, offering a prayer, sharing the gospel, paying for the meal, whatever it is, what if we viewed those moments as moments that God had prepared since the foundation of the world for his spirit to potentially break into a relationship like never before? I see that when I look at this passage. I also see that God breaks into Peter's daily routine. That Peter and John are just walking down the street like they always do at 3 o'clock. It's a normal time. It's a routine time that they would go to the temple. They would pray. They would pray. That was every day they would do that. And in the midst of their daily routine, God shows up. You ever notice that God shows up sometimes when you're not really having the time for him to show up? Your neighbor never really wants to talk about their deep life issues except when all your kids are screaming in your house, right? right? Your coworker never wants to talk about their faith except when you're late to a meeting, right? Your kid never wants to have a conversation with you about spiritual things unless it's two in the morning and they're just coming home and, and you just want to yell at them, right? It's almost like God breaks into our routine and he gives us these opportunities. We want to say, God, you know what? I've got a calendar here. If you see, there are a couple, just a few, but there are a couple of open slots. You know, if, if you could break into my life at a more opportune time, I think that would be better for me. I know that would be better for me and I think it would be better for your kingdom too. God breaks into Peter's routine. I feel like in a culture like ours, in a area that we live in like ours, in a pace of life like ours, in a life of busyness like ours, in an efficiency world like ours, it's important for ourselves to ask the question about our routine, is it breakable? Is your routine breakable? Is there enough margin in your life for God to work? Can you imagine what the story would have looked like if Peter and John looked at that guy and they looked away because they realized they were late for prayer time? The story wouldn't have ended up in the Bible. That's what would have happened. Yet so often, we, it's like God taps us on the shoulders and we want to say, I'm busy right now. And our lives are so packed full with events that if we were to stop for a moment and engage with what God had for us, 
everything else would come tumbling apart. And that's last week on the podcast, I talked to Annie and her clip that we watched even in here. She talked about the difference between ministry in Ukraine and ministry here in America. And she says, here there's, I've got a job, I've got a place to be, I've got a schedule, I've got hours, I've got to watch the clock. She said, in Ukraine, it's like my whole life was just devoted to serving Christ. She said, but isn't that how it's supposed to be here? How do we live our lives in the midst of a world where we do have routines? And I see in the scriptures that Peter and John had a routine. There's nothing wrong with routines. But God tapped on their shoulder in the midst of their routine, pulled them out of it, and they were willing to break from what they thought they were doing and start engaging with what they were actually supposed to be doing in that moment. God breaks into their routine. I think it's important for us to see that God showed up while they were on their way to a prayer meeting. You know, God shows up anytime. God can show up when you're on the way to the Warriors game, right? That doesn't matter. But I think there's something significant about the fact that part of these folks' daily routine involved engaging with the community for spiritual things. And I don't think God has a big explicit point out of this, but I do believe that our rhythm of spiritual discipline is connected with our ability to partner with the Spirit's work. That if you're in a week where you are going to church and you're having time with the Lord and you're reading the scriptures and you're going to your home community and you're praying and you're seeking his face and you're going through your neighborhood on a walk and praying for the homes in your neighborhood and someone comes up to you and a need arises in your spirit or the spirit is working with your spirit and saying, do something about this. I think it's more likely you'll have a moment like that when your week is filled with a routine that keeps you connected with the Lord. I think it's no accident that God worked on their way to the prayer meeting because as these folks were engaging in the rhythm of Christian life, when the Spirit tapped on their shoulders, they recognized him because they were about to go to church and talk to him. I, I see that in this passage. I think we look at this miracle and it blinds us to the details that actually can change our lives. We see that Peter and John come and do something amazing, but you know what? It's interesting when Peter and John talk about their engagement with this man who could not walk in chapter 4 when they're defending themselves, they don't define it as a miracle. They don't talk about that moment as this like fireworks experience. They describe what happened to that man as an act of kindness shown to a man who was born lame. An act of kindness. Really, I think even the miraculous part of this story is something that we can adopt into our own lives because in their brains... The Spirit was not compelling them to do a miracle. The Spirit was just compelling them to bring out an act of kindness on someone who needed it. So in a sense, if that's really how we can look at this miracle, then buying groceries for the single mom or praying with the person across the street or having a conversation with a coworker at lunch about spiritual things can be just as miraculous in a sense as actually giving sight to a blind person or the ability to walk to a lame person because what Peter and John are drawing out is it's not about the miraculous God put something on their heart to do which was kind to another human being and they stewarded that moment and stepped into it and the father did something amazing through the spirit that had a ripple effect and changed his life and the whole community. What if we started viewing these moments where God calls us to do an act of kindness as a moment where his spirit wants to start stepping with us and walking with us down our path of life? I see this man get healed, and then I see some significant things about what happens to him. I see that Peter is prompted to meet his need, and then this man is reunited with a faith community. I love the fact that this man gets up 
And he doesn't say, I can walk. And then he runs to the Raider game, right? This man is healed. He has the ability to walk. And then he books it into the temple where he can pray with God's people for the first time. I love the fact that when this man gets saved, God uses it to catalyze a conversation. And Peter and John get up and share the gospel with thousands of people. And the church starts exploding. I love the fact that what this miracle does is not just become a flash in the pan. But it becomes the catalyst for God to unite people with himself and to grow the community of believers and to cling everyone to each other. I love what, the way that Luke describes it in Acts 4.4. He says, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. I think it's important for us to see in a story like this that the primary work of the Spirit is to bring men and women into relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason that God puts a prompting on your heart to bring groceries to the single mom is is not because God's ultimate aim is to get food to the single mom, although that, of course, God gives us our daily bread and that's a demonstration of the way that God works to that woman. But the primary reason that God puts on a heart of a person like us to give food to someone is because he's ultimately trying to get that person to be adopted into his own family and sometimes he uses acts of kindness to open the door for someone's heart or someone's ears to hear the gospel and believe. God saves this person in his ability to walk, but more importantly, this story is not about that. This story is about thousands of people coming into the kingdom through the catalyzing moment of Peter and John bringing an act of, act of kindness, seeing a miraculous work, and gathering people who might hear the gospel and be joined to the faith community. It's about faith. It's about the gospel. It's about life transformation, not just body transformation. This is a story where we see that God's spirit works, breaks into our world with the ultimate goal of drawing men and women to himself. Now, I know we we live in a world and and we've had these experiences where it feels really hard to do something nice for someone because you want to get the gospel to them, right? Like, it just feels so awkward to bring the brownies to the new neighbor and then, like, put a tract in them, you know? Or to say, hey, while I've got you, you should come to church with me, right? Because it feels like this sales call thing, and, and you want, don't want them to think, wait, did you bring me brownies because you're happy I'm in the neighborhood? Are you trying to convert me? What's, what's happening here, right? And so I'm not saying that you should go be nice to people because you want to, like, one-two punch them with the gospel and be a gospel salesman. I, I don't think that's what we see in this passage. What I see in this passage is that what Peter and John do is they respond to the Spirit's work in their own hearts in an act of compassion and kindness on someone who was hurting. And Peter and John didn't have some strategy like, okay, let's heal this guy, then let's go inside, let's bring him up here, have him share his testimony, gather a crowd, then we're going to pass out these pamphlets, right? That's, that's not how it worked. Peter and John saw this man, they saw his need, their hearts were broken for him in a legitimate and compassionate way. They extended kindness on him as the Spirit gave to them. The Spirit said to them, heal him, and so they did it. And then what they just watched is the Spirit orchestrated a bunch of events to start bringing thousands of people to Christ through that act of kindness. So I don't think you should show up with brownies in one hand and gospel invitation tracks in the other. I'm not thinking that's what this passage means. Sometimes it's good to do that. I think what this passage says is that when God breaks your heart towards something, realize that his spirit is working in you and wants to connect with someone in this world and realize that the spirit's ultimate aim is to bring that person or someone to Christ through it. And so you do the thing God compels you to do and you pray that God uses it in bigger and better and greater ways. 
I think that's the rhythm of life as we fan into flame the little spark that the Spirit puts in our hearts in any moment. I love watching this because I feel like these little sparks just keep growing the community bigger and bigger and bigger. Like we talked last week in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. In Matthew 13, when Jesus talked about how the kingdom would rise and expand, he talks about it in terms of these little tiny things that grow into big things. He says in Matthew 13, 3, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Remember that story? It's all these parables about a father just scattering seed wherever he goes. And he says, sometimes the seed grows and multiplies. Sometimes it dies. Sometimes birds eat it. Sometimes weeds choke him out. But all he's doing is he's just scattering the seed all over the place. He jumps in the next parable and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A tiny little thing that gets planted and grows into something so giant, all the birds of the air can perch in its branches. He moves forward and says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through, that it's a small thing that permeates the earth, that permeates the dough, that can expand and do great things and multiply. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about it as something that starts really small, and it grows, and it expands, and it moves and affects beyond where anyone would ever imagine a tiny seed could go. Peter and John had an act of kindness, a a moment of being compelled by the Spirit that grew and expanded beyond wherever, beyond, I'm sure, anything they could have ever asked or imagined. Jesus says that's the way the kingdom grows as it expands throughout all the earth and expands in our neighborhoods and expands in our homes and in our workplaces. It sounds really nice when you put it that way. Like, you should just go to work and tell people about Jesus and watch the miracles happen, right? It's like one of those little, remember those little capsules you used to get with the foam dinosaur inside and you'd like put it inside the water and then the next morning, boom, a dinosaur comes out. Like, yeah, right? I should go tell people about Jesus, do night things, and boom, 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 boom. Everyone's getting saved, right? It's going to be great. But I think it's important for us to know that life is not as easy as that. And Jesus predicted that. Even in those, that same chapter, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. He said, you're going to be out there doing these acts of kindness, sharing the gospel, connecting with folks, and I'm going to be doing miraculous work, growing it big, doing great things, and at the same time, you're going to face opposition. And Peter and John had an experience where this man gets transformed. He goes into the temple. Crowds are formed. They're preaching the gospel. Their people are getting saved. And in the midst of it, the religious folks aren't too happy with what is happening. We see in Acts chapter 4 that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they're speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, put them in jail until the next day. Now, life was awesome, and then they got incarcerated. (laughs) The spirit was moving, and then they had handcuffs on. God was doing great things, and people were getting saved, and then they found themselves in chains behind locked doors all night long. I think this is probably the point that I don't have to tell you that when you go and start walking with the Spirit, there will be opposition. There will be people who don't like what you have to say. There will be people who you serve with a legitimate, compassionate heart who feel like you've turned them into a gospel 
proselytizing project. There will be people who hear the gospel and get mad at you, don't want to be your friend anymore. There will be workplaces that fire you for sharing your faith with someone who asked you how you had that hope in your heart. There will be times in your life that people come against you because of your faith. And all you're trying to do is love people and your heart is stirred towards them and there's opposition. That happens. And I really believe that that's the reason that most of us, including myself, often don't step into God's work in the first place. And we see the homeless man on the street and he's trying to make eye contact with us and we're trying to avoid it, right? Because we know if we make eye contact, God might call us to do something and if God might call us to do something, it might get awkward or or hostile. That's the reason we don't pray with our neighbor because God starts drawing us to pray for them and we start thinking, but what if they don't like prayer? What if they think I'm weird? I have to live next door to this person, right? What's gonna happen tomorrow? What if they hate me? What if they punch me? I don't know. And so it's hard for us to be bold. Because we're scared of, is this going to work? Or is this going to be the time that I get reported to HR for talking about my faith at work? Peter and John get thrown in prison. They get up and... They get pulled out the next morning and and they stand before the religious leaders. And the religious leaders look at them and they say, tell us in what name have you been doing these things? On one hand, that that seems like an evangelism on a T. You know, like if somebody came to you and said, hey, can you tell me the name of the God that you worship? Like, seriously, right? But on the other hand, it's like, okay, this is a trick, right? All these religious leaders want them to do is say, we are preaching in the name of Jesus so that they can flog them, so they can beat them, so they can throw them in jail, so they can kick them out of the community, right? So they're just putting it on a tee and saying, okay, let's establish the facts here. You did something miraculous. Tell us the name of the person you worship in this temple. Is it the one true God or is it some guy who lived a few years ago? And Peter looks back and says, If you're asking me to give an account for an act of kindness done against a man who was born lame, I'll tell you, it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, like he goes full name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that we made this man walk. And they're like, oh, right. And so they're like, get together, like, what are we going to do? He just said it. He said the name, right? I thought he was, I didn't think he was going to say it, but he just said the name, right? They're talking. But then they realize everyone saw what happened. Everyone in the temple saw the transformation that took place. All these people were amazed at what God was obviously doing. And so they're like, okay, we can't flog these people. Let's just warn them to not talk about Jesus anymore. So they come back and they say, okay, we're going to let you go. But we forbid you from talking about Jesus anymore. And Peter says, I'll tell you what Peter says. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to him or to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. After further threats, they let him go. (laughs) They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed 
was over 40 years old. Peter and John had this opportunity where they could shrink back or they could step into boldness. And they chose boldness. And God showed up in that moment and gave them favor again. As we look to distill, okay, what's the life principle for those of us who don't heal lame people very often? What's the application for us who live in our world where what God compels us to do is generally less miraculous than that? It's What do we learn from this story? And and I think it's an equation. The Holy Spirit plus boldness equals life of adventure with God. The Holy Spirit plus boldness equals life of adventure with God. I love watching Peter and John race home in Acts 4. You you can read this later when you get home. And and they go and they tell the church, like, oh, you're out of prison? Like, yeah, we're out of prison, right? And they tell the whole story. They explain to everyone what happened and they walk them through it. And the the disciples who are sitting there are realizing that more and more threats are going to start coming against them. And so they pray something very powerful in Acts 4, verse 29. They say, God, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They realized that opposition was starting to mount. And boldness was the enzyme God used to catalyze the Spirit's work in the past. And so their prayer was, God, consider their threats and enable us to be all the more bold in the face of this opposition. It's hard to be bold. Now, sometimes we try to be bold like Brian did, and it just comes out like, hey, surrender it to God. (laughs) And we feel like we failed. What I love about Carolina's story that we heard at the beginning is that she walks through it, Brian's little phrase that kind of got in her ear started like bouncing around in her brain. And she gets to a point, you've got to listen to this podcast. She gets to the point that she's driving down the freeway and she's crying. She's overwhelmed. She's late to pick up her kid from preschool or daycare. And she has no money and no way to feed him dinner. And the house is a mess. And the weight of the world is on her shoulders. And she just hears Brian saying, surrender it to God. And so in the midst of the freeway, she looks up to the heavens through her tears and says, God, I don't even know what it means to surrender it to you. But I do. And God started a chain reaction in her life where he became real to her because Brian was bold to bumble out a phrase that he felt like an idiot for saying. No offense. (laughs) I think the most catalytic moment in my life was I was after senior year of high school, we were I was on a, I went to summer camp, and it was an amazing week. I don't really think I understood the gospel, but I loved being part of the church, and I thought I was a Christian, and and we went to the water slides on the way home from Alliance Redwoods, and I had this friend who I'd known my whole life, and I've told you this before, she she was looking really awkward, probably like Brian was looking when he was talking to Carolina, and it was like she had something she wanted to say to me. And so we're sitting on the lawn on our beach towels, and she finally gets up the courage to say, hey, Danny, I just want to ask you something. Are you a Christian? And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. I'm wearing my camp t-shirt, right? (laughs) You just spent the week with me sitting doing what Christians do, right? Of course I'm a Christian. And she looked like so embarrassed. And she's like, I I know, I know. I just thought I'd ask, right? And and, walking away from that moment, I could not get that question out of my mind. It's like, God, 
inserted some sort of like poison <laughs> in that little phrase. And I didn't know it was actually the antidote to the poison within me. And over the next several weeks, God used that question to soften my heart and help me to see that I truly did not know him. And as my heart was softened and I began to exercise faith in Christ, everything in my life started changing almost instantly. You never know what God will do through an act of boldness and kindness that he places on your heart. You never know when cookies are going to turn into eternal salvation for someone. You never know when bringing groceries to a single mom is going to be the thing that proves to her that God is real because she just prayed for food. You never know when God's going to use the, the moment he's placed on your heart to change someone's life forever. And sometimes you never know what God does through those moments. All we can do is steward them well and respond with boldness to the promptings the Spirit places in our hearts, trusting that that's how he works. Now this morning as we close in prayer, my heart goes to some of you who the thing the Spirit is tapping on your shoulder with is that you don't know him. That God has been trying to draw you for a long, long time. Or maybe it's the first time you've ever been in a church and it just you know that there's something real about this and God is saying, trust me, follow me, come with me. And it's like he's tapping you and you want to shoo him away. Maybe that's the thing you need to be bold about this morning. Maybe you need to boldly go into our prayer room and say, I think I need to start following Jesus this morning. Maybe you boldly need to sit while I'm praying and say, God, take my life, it's yours. God, forgive my sins. I trust Jesus died for them. God, give me a new life. I trust his resurrection grants it for me. God, give me that spirit so I might walk with you the rest of my days. Maybe that's the thing he's putting on your heart is to simply trust him and open your life to him. If that's you, do that this morning. Before you leave, surrender your life to Christ. And the Spirit will catalyze that seed in your heart and turn it into something amazingly huger than you can ever imagine if you simply boldly respond yes to what God is calling for you. Let me pray for us all as we move into worship this morning.